BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And Donald Trump says that many, many, many federal employees are very happy to go without a paycheck tomorrow because they support him and his wall. Yeah, name one of them, Mr. President. So far, you've not been able to. Even though you've been asked multiple times by many reporters, it doesn't exist. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Can you believe it? It's Thursday already. We're into double digits in 2019, January 10, 2019. Great to see you. And uh, here we go again with the news of the day. And here we go again. More and more shutdown day 20 now, as I said. Uh, and more and more people hurting as the first federal paychecks do tomorrow and every night. Uh, and every day we see stories about uh, federal employees who um, don't have much money in the bank, don't have a great big nest egg they can, nest egg they can lean on, uh, and facing mortgage payments and car payments and all the rest and unable to meet them. Uh, the Coast Guard suggesting that maybe people could go out and hold a cookie sale or a bake sale or a yard sale. Uh, that got so much flack that the Coast Guard was forced to take that down. That's hardly what's necessary these days. What's necessary to get the president of the United States off his ass and to open up the government while they continue to negotiate what should happen with border security. Uh, and, of course, the great big blow-up at the White House yesterday where baby Donald Trump slammed the table and walked out to see his mommy, I guess, because he couldn't stand to sit there and negotiate with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. i got to tell you, I don't know about you. I am proud of our two Democratic leaders these days. Finally, somebody willing to stand up to Donald Trump, and he can't take it. All of that and more coming up here on this Thursday edition of the Bill Press Show with your help and your comments due on and welcome on Twitter at BP Show. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We'll get right into it. But first... 
This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so space is a pretty hard place to live, right? You could, We can agree on that, don't you think? There's a lot of room up there. Well, there's plenty of room, yeah, but the conditions, let's yeah, say, are I, I, uh, less than right. perfect. Well, the International Space Station has hosted many uh, astronauts that have gone up there, and they all bring up their own bacteria. Well, they've done a new study on the International Space Station that is kind of cool, kind of horrifying. They said that there's lots of bacteria on the International Space Station, not necessarily bad bacteria, but Mm -hmm. bacteria that comes up with us, and it is adapting to figure out how to live in space. They've studied some of this bacteria that they've gathered from different astronauts that have come up there, and they said that it's changing. The entire makeup of this bacteria is changing and adapting because, again, it's a very difficult environment to live in up there. But evolution that, might be real, Bill. But uh, that yeah. happens here on Earth too. Sure. With viruses and bacteria, you know, they change the different. Sure, but this is a completely different I, environment. I that they just yes, we're not right. sure how it would I'm happen. I'm just not surprised. That, sure, yeah, I get that. I get yeah. that. Uh, but they say this could be really, really helpful to scientists, especially for those who are spending longer periods of time up in space on the space station. I mean, now they're spending. Uh, you know, years in space, practically. Take your bacteria with you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah take it with you. Uh, by the way, uh, Jeff Bezos yesterday announced that he and his wife, his uh, wife Mackenzie, were getting a divorce. It is now going to be the most expensive divorce in history. Of course, Jeff Bezos is worth $140 billion. They are splitting very amicably. Nobody's saying anything nasty. It's not being ugly or anything like that. But uh, they are splitting up that money. They are not going to tell us how they are splitting up that money. I think both of them are going to be just fine. Uh, I I don't worry about either one of them. Or the kids or their grandkids or whatever. No. Everybody's going to be just fine. He's done a lot of good things with his money. Too. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. $140 billion can go a long way. If just you think what their lawyers are going to make. Oh, man, can you imagine? Whoa, <laughs> yeah, how about it? This is the Bill Press Show. Baby Donnie throws another temper tantrum, slams the table, gets up, and walks out. This is called the art of the deal. Yeah, this is what we voted for. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Good to see you today. It's the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it, and we welcome you to the Bill Press Show. That's me. Uh, Wherever you are in this great land of ours, thank you so much for joining us online, on radio, on television, for our day's roundup, uh, pardon me, just one little, one little second, get that uh, little cough out of my throat. Uh, it is great to see you today, and thank you for joining us for our roundup of the day's news and the day's headlines with a great group of guests, as always. And our most important guests are you. We join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Podcast, podcast, don't forget it, BillPressShow.com, or wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts, we are there with you every day and over the weekend as to, uh, too, so don't forget to sign up for any of our special uh, regular podcasts and any special podcast content that we put up. 
We're joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and Chicago and all about Chicago on WCPT. Television-wise, here we are with you on Free Speech TV. So you can't miss us online, on the radio, on television. No excuses. Uh, tune in. Join in the conversation by sending us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Joanna Piancenza from The Morning Consult will be joining us uh, just about a half an hour from now. Jennifer Habercorn covers the Congress for the L.A. Times. She'll be in as well. Uh, and then we will welcome back for his first visit in 2019 the good Congressman John Yarmouth from the state of Kentucky, Kentucky's third congressional district. Uh, with the top headlines, yep, uh, President Trump on the road yesterday, well, here in Washington, meaning he left the White House, uh, to come up to Capitol Hill. Had a bill signing at the White House, came up to Capitol Hill to meet with uh, House, I mean, with Senate Republicans, and then a disastrous meeting uh, with congressional leaders down at the White House uh, in the Situation Room, which uh, ended abruptly when the president stormed out of the room, saying that it was a total waste of time. Uh, meanwhile, the House of Representatives, under Nancy Pelosi, showed that they are serious about reopening the government, passing a bill to uh, get the Treasury Department and the IRS open immediately. That bill now goes to the Senate, and the House will be voting on another measure today. Uh, Tom Steyer yesterday, Mr. Impeach President Trump, who's been our guest here uh, in studio not so long ago, uh, a putative candidate for president in 2020. Yesterday, like many other uh, wannabe presidential candidates. He went to Iowa, but he surprised everybody by going to Iowa for just the opposite reason most people do. He went to Iowa to say, not that I'm running for president, but that I am not running for president. Here's a pro tip, by the way. If you're not going to run for president, you don't have to go to Iowa. There really is, at this point, only one reason to go to Iowa, and that is to announce that you're running for president. Yeah, that is and true. I don't mean politicians. I mean anybody yeah <laughs> it, it was uh it, at the same time it was kind of a brilliant stroke of counter-programming sure you know what i mean yeah it got everybody's attention got everybody's attention right and he said he's going to just continue on the impeachment uh bandwagon uh but the latest and and uh, by, uh, by the way we will also talk a little bit about paul manafort and what's happening with the Mueller and what that means for the Mueller investigation which is big time baby big time so on this day 20 of the shutdown, yesterday being day 19, uh, again, uh, President, President Trump uh, has, I wish it were President Obama, uh, President Trump manages, he, he keeps you know, beating the drum on the wall, uh, which deflects attention from the shutdown. But let's, let's just remember, this is day 20 of the shutdown again. Tomorrow is the first day for paychecks, uh, in this new year, paychecks, which will definitely not arrive. Some people were hoping, all of us were, the thing would be resolved before tomorrow. It will not be, uh, which means for those 800,000 employees for the first round, uh, they've been working or they're not allowed to come in, but the essential people have been working. They're not getting a paycheck. It's uh, about one-third of the entire government. Uh, and, again, they're not getting a paycheck because under the Trump shutdown, uh, Donald Trump says again, unless I get my wall, 
I'm going to continue to shut down the government, and I refuse to reopen the government until I get my wall. So he came up and met with um, members of the uh, House Senate caucus yesterday and then down to the White House to have this meeting. A little before, he did a signing ceremony where, again, he told reporters yesterday um, that this is non-negotiable. Every time you hear Mike Pence or Mitch McConnell or anybody say, that the Democrats are refusing to negotiate. Just listen. remember this. This is Donald Trump. He has set the ground rules. It's the wall or nothing. All of the other things, the sensors and the drones, it's all wonderful to have, and it works well, but only if you have the wall. If you don't have the wall, it doesn't matter. You see, again, notice he's not saying steel slats. He's saying the wall. He comes coming back to a concrete wall and... All the other stuff the Democrats are willing to give him, and he says we need for border security, none of that matters. It's the wall. Like, like he's been given all these different outs, right? Like he just yeah. sort of referenced the virtual wall, right? Which people the have drones, talked about. You could have drones, more border guards, all that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah. And you could, and you could, Donald Trump, who could get away with literally shooting somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue, he could get away with that and say, folks. Look, it's a virtual wall. We've got amped up border security. At this point, we have essentially a wall there that is like best for the 21st century. But he's so stupid that it really is a concrete wall or bust. And he has boxed himself into that corner. 100%. Right. So no matter how you slice it, unless he gets the concrete wall and $25 billion dollars, it's going to be a loss for him. And now he doesn't know how the hell to get out of this jam. Other than maybe declare a national emergency, uh, which he keeps threatening to do, but he hasn't done because a lot of lawyers are telling him, you're going to lose that fight, baby. And uh, and w- what's it all about? Well, Donald Trump said yesterday, it's just, well, here's what it's all about. The Democrats just can't accept the fact that I won. The only reason they're against it is because I won the presidency. And they think they can try and hurt us going into the presidency, but that's not going to happen. Uh, no, that's not right, Mr. President. And you know it. Democrats are against the wall because it's a waste of money, because it will not work, because there is no crisis at the border. In fact, according to the Border Patrol's own figures, border crossings from on our southern border, let's remember this, are at a 20-year low. Ten years ago, there were 1.6 million people apprehended trying to cross the border illegally. Last year, 2018, there were 386-some thousand. That's how far down it has gone. And um, when the president said, which, by the way, he's dropped this, he also said all these terrorists are flowing across the border. 4,000 people who are on the terrorist watch list were apprehended last year. Uh, That's true. Most of them, the vast, vast majority of them were apprehended at airports flying in here. Uh, In fact, in the first from October 2017 through March 2018, and I believe it's even further, maybe through June, the first six months of 2018, uh, how many, not terrorists, but people on the terrorist watch list were apprehended at the border? Not 4,000, six. 
Six, not 60, not 600, six. No crisis at the border, no need for the wall. That's why Democrats don't want to build the wall. Um, and uh, but, but we are starting to see, um, by the way, uh, some cracks uh, in the support. Not many, so far only four Republican senators uh, have publicly said they agree with the plan which the Senate passed before Christmas and which the House passed yesterday to reopen those parts of the government and get them going right away that don't have anything to do with border security and also give the Department of Homeland Security, which of course does have border responsibilities, 30 days while they can negotiate the wall. Um, uh, The first uh, bill on that, uh, uh, toward that end, well, there was a composite bill passed last Thursday, but now the Democrats are taking them one at a time. Yesterday they passed the first of those six bills, which they will um, uh, debate and and vote on. Uh, And this would keep the Treasury Department and the IRS open uh, until the end of the year, just reopen them right away and get them back to work. That passed with a vote, by the way, of 240 to 80 to 188 with eight Republicans voting for it, which is really, I got to tell you, disappointing. I mean, only eight Republicans are on record as wanting to reopen the government. That's it. Eight. That's it. Yeah. Out of uh, maybe 190 in the House. That's pathetic. Um, People were hoping it would get up to 15, 25. If Which could, would still have been pathetic. Still pathetic. If they could get to 55 Republicans, they, they'd have a veto-proof majority. They'll never get to 55 because these guys are CS. They are chicken, you know what, absolutely, of standing up to Donald. And so, I, you know, they're up for re-election in two years. Well, we know what happened the last time. The, the, the blue wave will be even bigger the next time if they stick to this. Uh, and then the president came up to, to the Congress where, by the way, so back to Don Trump for just a second. He was asked about, is the, are the Republicans standing behind you, Mr. President? This is up at the Capitol yesterday. The Democrats have lost support. There is tremendous Republican support, unwavering, as you probably know. Unwavering. Well, not exactly. As I point out, the exact number is not a lot, but four senators in this so far, and eight House members. I think that number will grow every time that they vote. Uh, But Donald Trump says, well, we're not the only ones having these problems. The Democrats are losing members, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while you're going to have that, but you know who else has that? The Democrats have that, too, because they have their people breaking away, too. You know why? Because they know you need border security. Yeah, haven't you seen all these Democrats out there calling Uh for the wall? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mr. President, every single Democrat in the House voted for yeah. Uh, for the bill to reopen the Treasury and the IRS. There was not one single defection. Again, liar, liar, pants on fire. That's like his claim that uh, many federal employees, he said, he, said, he said it again yesterday, oh, many, many federal employees have told me they're happy. They've told the White House, we're happy not to have a paycheck. We love not getting paid. We love working for nothing because... We need that wall. Name one. In fact, Speaker Pelosi said that yesterday. Name one. They can't, and they haven't, and they've been asked to, uh, and they can't. 
So then they go down to this meeting at the White House. Okay, this this, this was Donald Trump at his worst, at his most baby-like. So let's start with Chuck Schumer. Uh, Chuck Schumer tells exactly what happened in that meeting where um, Donald Trump turned to Nancy Pelosi and said, they're in the Situation Room, <clears throat> okay, if I reopen the government, will you give me my wall? And she said, no. She said the right thing. Chuck Schumer picks it up from there. He sort of s- slammed the table. And when Leader Pelosi said she didn't agree with the wall, he just walked out and said, we have nothing to discuss. Oh, yeah. This is it. Nothing to discuss. Bye-bye. He tweeted right afterwards. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, as Chuck Schumer says, this yet again is uh, another a two-year-old throwing a p- temper tantrum. Again, we saw a temper tantrum because he couldn't get his way and he just walked out of the meeting. Yeah. Uh, now, Kevin McCarthy and Mike Pence came out to, to came out and spoke to reporters after the Democrats did, saying, oh, no, 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 this never happened. So the president turned to Nancy and it was all very calm. All very he calm. asked her, okay, if I open up the government in 30 days, could we... Um, have border security. And she said, no, not at all. Yeah, no. Okay. Multiple people have said Who that do you is trust? not what happened. Exactly. Who do you trust in that? Dick Durbin, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi all said Donald Trump didn't say, would you ever support any border security? The Republic- Democrats have already said they'll put up $1.6 billion for border security. All that other stuff we were talking about. No, it was Donald Trump saying the wall. The wall. Will you give me my wall if I reopen the government? Uh, and absolutely, the answer to that is, as it should be, no. And as uh, then Speaker Pelosi pointed out, you know, look, we haven't cooked up these bills that we're passing. We are passing the exact same bills. It was their idea. This was how they wanted to approach it. This is what passed the Senate before in the last Congress in December, just before Christmas. Here's Speaker Pelosi. We didn't come up with our own idea in terms of negotiating. We took their idea and said, again, take yes, uh, take yes for an answer. Yeah, they won't. The Republicans just don't, won't take yes for an answer. Uh, and then uh, in the best line of the day, uh, Nancy Pelosi says, here's the problem with Donald Trump. He cannot relate to these people who are not getting a paycheck because he never had to worry about where his next paycheck was coming from. What that means in their lives is tragic in terms of their credit rating, paying their mortgage, paying their rent. The president seems to be insensitive to that. He thinks maybe they could just ask their father for more money, but they can't. What a great dig. Yeah, exactly. That's the way it was for him. Yeah, of course. You know, as a teenager, as a young adult, as a starting out... how much was it? I remember. Remember, he said he got a million dollars from his father. It turned out to be about twenty or something. It was like a that, lot wasn't? more than a million, which yeah, he described right. as a, a fairly small amount. Mm-hmm. A million. Yeah. Anybody gets that from their father, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You did. You got that, right? That was his life, right? When you turned eighteen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A cool right. million. Oh, oh, it's paycheck time. It's the end of the month time. Oh, hey, daddy, I need some. Can you put some more transfer some more money into my account? That was his life. Yeah. Of course, he can't relate to these federal employees. She is absolutely right about that. And, and uh, so after the whole thing was over, well, Mike Pence and uh, 
and Kevin McCarthy are trying to say, oh, the president was a total gentleman throughout the whole meeting, never did anything abrupt, never walked out of the room. Donald Trump basically gave the cat away with his tweet right afterwards uh, where he picks up this, uh, the same attitude that Nancy and Chuck described. Just left a meeting with Chuck and Nancy, a total waste of time. Mm-hmm. I asked what is going to happen in 30 days if I quickly open things up. Are you going to approve border security, which includes a wall or a steel barrier? Nancy said no. I said bye-bye. Nothing else works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Again, baby Donald throwing a temper tantrum. I get, you know, I'm, by the way, I am sure that this was his MO when he was the big business mogul in New York. A hundred percent. Well, you know, it may have worked there because he was the, he was the guy, he was a big, he was the, first of all, most of it was bluff as we've learned, but he was the big rich guy who came in who could make or break these contractors. And so he's negotiating with them about building another Trump Tower somewhere or leasing another Trump Tower. And if they don't give him everything he wants, I'm sure that was part of his his M.O. was to say, oh, the hell with this. This is a waste. I'm I'm leaving. And then it was, no, please, please come back. Please come back. Please come back. Right. But now he's dealing with a co-equal branch of government. He's dealing with two Democratic leaders who have as much power as he does. Almost as much power. But in terms of running the government, a co-equal branch of government. He can't just say, although he tries every day, my way or the highway. He's got to work with Congress on this. Again, he has put himself in a box on this wall. And the only way out is for him to admit that he was wrong. Because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, correctly so, are not going to give in. Uh, they'll give him all this other kind of border security that he wants. They have always been for that. No freaking wall. Period. Now, today, the president <laughs> is going to continue his little publicity stunt. So it was the speech from the Oval Office, which everybody now says backfired. That total, total, talk about a waste of time. It, it was, just pretty. It just dropped off the radar. Yeah. Because you know why? his first speech from the Oval Office. Yeah. Dropped off the radar because... People at the White House are the first ones to recognize this was bad, bad for him, bad for the cause. Didn't change one single vote. Again, waste of time. Yeah, that was a total waste of time. So yesterday he comes up to the Hill and crows about Republican um, unity while Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, the two of them, both went in front of cameras yesterday and said they disagree with the president and they told him so in that meeting. Uh, and then he has this uh, disastrous meeting at the White House. So today the publicity tour continues. He is going down to the border in Texas. Why? Just Gosh, I hope he's going to be safe. You know, it's so dangerous. It's down so there. dangerous down there. Yeah, there could be some drug dealers, rapists, and uh, murderers coming across right when he's there. I, I didn't pull this comment because I, I didn't pull he, this comment, this audio. But he said yesterday that you have immigrants. Charging across the border in supercharged vehicles that are more advanced and tougher than, than anything that ICE agents could possibly uh, take down. So he thinks that this is somehow like... They're coming across in cars? Ma- Mad Max all of yeah, a sudden. Right. They're coming through really? in like fortified race cars. Across the Rio Grande River? That's what he said. Not, <laughs> not, but he said they're yeah. charging across the border in these vehicles that ICE can't even keep up with. Like, uh, 
that's just not true. That's no. just a lie. And the night of his uh, address from the uh, Oval Office, uh, that the, the I'm sorry, that afternoon address from the Oval Office, which was Tuesday now, right? Okay, yeah. Um, he, at lunch with the TV anchors, uh, he told them, yeah, you know, I'm giving a speech tonight, even though I don't think I should do it. I think it's uh, it's not going to accomplish anything. And then they're go- they, they've got me going down to the border. I don't think that's going to accomplish anything either. But these people, and he pointed to Bill Shine, communications director, and Kellyanne Conway and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, these people think I should do it, so I'm going. He, he said ahead of time that today is a total, total bust, pure publicity stunt that will accomplish nothing. But we're paying for him to fly down there on Air Force One uh, and make a little statement and come home. But by the way, he doesn't deny that he said that. He tweeted yeah. last night at 11 p.m. I gave an off-the-record, all caps, off-the-record luncheon, somewhat of a White House tradition or custom, to network anchors yesterday. And they quickly leaked the contents of the meeting. Who would believe how bad it has gotten with the mainstream media, where wh- mainstream media, which has gone totally bonkers? That was his tweet last night, which essentially says that what they said was true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't deny it. Right. Um, so there he goes today. By the way, so we just got to talk about one other great big item in the news before we break, and that is didn't get as much because of the shutdown and all that's going on, didn't get as much attention as it would have. But um, there's a big deal going on with Robert Mueller and Paul Manafort. We've been talking about and the possibility, and that's what Mueller's investigating, of connection, a collusion with the Russians between the Trump campaign and Russian intelligence officials. We got, we, we know it happened, but now we have proof that it happened in a late filing yesterday, about the day before yesterday, by Robert Mueller against Paul Manafort. And we remember Manafort had agreed to make a deal with, uh, made a deal with Mueller and agreed to cooperate. Uh, and then not so long ago, the Mueller operation said, hey, wait a minute, Manafort. You have lied to us. You've lied to the FBI since you made that deal. Therefore, we're revoking the deal. The deal is off because even under when you were supposedly cooperating, you were lying to us again. And what was he lying about? He was lying about giving polling information from the Trump campaign to Russian intelligence officials. Uh, and that we found out about that. And let's let Judge Andrew Napolitano uh, legal advisor for Fox News. He was on yesterday afternoon with Shep Smith, and he explains how this came about because Manafort's lawyers blew it. The prosecutors accused Paul Manafort of lying to FBI agents in violation of his guilty plea to cooperate with them, and they filed their allegations of the lies under seal. We don't know what they were. Paul Manafort's lawyers filed their answer, and they forgot to seal part of it. Uh-huh. And the part they forgot to seal was that the FBI accused Paul Manafort of lying about whether or not he gave confidential campaign polling data at the height of the campaign to a Russian oligarch who the FBI has identified as a source for Russian intelligence. So, so a Putin man. Yes. This, this shows that Bob Mueller can demonstrate to a court, without the testimony of Paul Manafort, that the campaign had a connection to Russian intelligence, and the connection involved information going from the campaign to the Russians. So, so far, so, so much for Donald Trump's assertion that nobody, 
absolutely nobody had any connection at all with any Russians during the campaign, during the transition. We know that's BS because we know about Jared Kushner's meetings and Donald Trump Jr.'s meetings at Trump Tower and uh, Jeff Sessions' meetings and on and on, not to mention Clarence Page and the whole gang, George Papadopoulos. But now we've got evidence Provided like Carter Page, not Clarence. Carter Page. Page. Oh, not Clarence. Not our no, buddy Clarence. I'm sorry, Clarence. Never, I'm sorry, Clarence. Never. No, Carter Page. Um, now we have evidence from Paul Manafort's own lawyers that he was giving polling information. Why? Right? To the Russian operatives themselves. You know why? Because, of course, they knew what the Russians were up to and they wanted to help them out. This is collusion. This is everything we, we thought would happen, and Robert Mueller. This just sort of fell through the sky, and I'm telling you, if it weren't for the shutdown, this would be the number one news story of the day. Paul Manafort, guilty as charged. I have to add, Donald Trump, guilty as charged. And you have to, you have to point out that it is really just spectacular that this is the way that it came to be, that his lawyers screwed up so bad that they told the whole world yeah, we did this. Yeah, we did this. Right? Like, it, it's it's amazing. So, uh, I just have to say that. So you can see how much time versus the shutdown we spent on the Paul Manafort thing. Uh, and some people are saying that this is the reason, one of the reasons why Donald Trump is insisting on the shutdown. Because as long as the shutdown lasts, he is the center of attention and we're talking about the shutdown. And by the way, he doesn't give a damn, right? He, he doesn't take any paycheck anyhow. He doesn't need it. As Nancy says, he can't relate to the people who are not getting paid every two weeks or once a month, whatever they're supposed to. But one of the people, some people have speculated one of the reasons that he's keeping the shutdown going is because it keeps the attention on him, on the shutdown, and off of Robert Mueller. Imagine. Is he that evil? Is he that conspiratorial? Damn right he is. Yeah, look, I'm not sure if he is or not, but it's amazing to think that... Uh, it's not a crazy theory. No, no, it's not. It's definitely not a crazy theory. But it's amazing to think that leaving 800,000 people without a paycheck and the government not working is somehow a more positive story for you than the alternative about the Robert Mueller investigation. That this is good news in, in Trump world. <laughs> that says a lot about where we are. Yeah. And he, in his uh, insanity, thinks this is good for the Republican Party and good for him. All aboard that sinking ship, man. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'd be willing to have a referendum tomorrow. Ask the American people what they think, right? Ask the American people whether they think this shutdown is good for the country uh, and, whether they th or whether, and whether they think Donald Trump is fighting for a real noble cause. Uh, I, I'll, I'd live by the results of that vote. Uh, all right. Time to take a quick break, and we will. When we come back, let's take a look back at 2018. How bad a year was it, or how good a year was it? Morning Consult's been looking at that. Uh, Joanna Pienza joins us uh, to uh, walk us through what they've found here on the Bill Press Show this Thursday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we go on this Thursday, Jan 10, January 10, 2019, the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. 
Brought to you today by the good men and women of the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT under President Dan Garten, uh, gearing up for a big teacher's strike in Los Angeles, the second largest school district in the country. Uh, I remember a big teacher strike before when I was doing TV in L.A. and marched the line with the teachers of Los Angeles. Uh, we salute them, whatever they decide to do in L.A., and so thank them for their support of the uh, program here on the Bill Press Show. Their website is aft.org. 2018, looking back. 2019, looking ahead. Uh, the people of Morning Consult have been doing some very interesting work on that uh, area. Uh, and their features editor at Morning Consult, Joanna Piacenza, joins us in studio. Did I get close to Oh, you got it perfectly. Perfectly? Jo- Piacenza. Oh, right. Like fettuccine. Piacenza. <laughs> Piacenza. The C's is C. Fettuccine. Okay, I like that. The last time that yes. Joanna was here, we were. Yeah. Uh, it was before the holidays, yeah. and we recorded a segment where we... Uh, we got drunk at 9 a.m. <laughs> we drank beer with our buddy Greg Angert. And the podcast ed- Oh, I remember Greg was coming. You were in there for that, too. Yeah, she was, was in there right. for that. My editors were unaware that I was doing that. Oh, whoops. I mean, <laughs> Until uh, now. I was Until drunk. Joanna was. did not drink anything. I did not drink oh, at 9 a.m. Okay. No, no, no. no. That, that is not a thing very I did. Irresponsible. No, what was very your contribution to the beer fest? Um, bring in some No, it was sitting, pas- it was sitting there pasta drinking. I should have brought in. I should have brought in a good pasta You don't want to drink beer on an empty stomach. I think my mother would be embarrassed that that I came and did not bring anything. I'm so sorry. Next time. <laughs> um, yeah. pret- pretzels. Something. I don't yeah. know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, all right. We've got lots to talk to Joanna about beside beer and pretzels and pasta. Uh, although, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Uh, just a quick look back uh, at uh, the comments from the last half hour before we uh, dive in, Joanna. Yes, indeed, Bill. We are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, on the shutdown, Phil says that federal workers have a march on the White House today at noon. Mm. That is the first I've heard of it, and hopefully... <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's great. The yeah. first of many that the federal workers will have. Uh, so if and you, you know are what? in the area... Go hit the White House today. Uh, right? I hope they bring some trash with them. We, we're all for that yes. building a wall of trash in yes. front of the White House, which uh, Jackie Spear, Congress people, Jackie Spear and Jared Huffman from uh, California started a couple of days ago. Yes. Uh, KG says Donald Trump is a master manipulator of media and there is no bad publicity because he does not seem to care. Uh, Jim, this is a great idea because he's flying down to the border today. Jim says, why does he fly just a little bit further, mm-hmm. fly to Mexico City and go get the $5 billion to pay for this wall like he promised he was going to do? Uh, if you have a comment on any topic, at any time, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. But we know the answer to that last one because when he was a candidate uh, affirming every day that Mexico was going to pay for the wall, remember, and he flew down as a candidate, met with the president of Mexico and never mentioned paying for the wall. No. Never ask him about it. No. Yeah. And when uh, when he was asked afterwards, he said based something like, well, I just wanted to be polite or something. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The whole myth. <laughs> Mexico's not going to pay for the wall. You know, the other myth is just, sorry, Gianna. Oh, getting, no, it's d- okay. D- d- a little distraction here. Is the other myth is that the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal is going to pay for the wall, which he said in his speech Tuesday night. First of all, there is no deal. Uh, he's not proposed yet. a deal. Congress has not debated it, has not agreed to it. Therefore, there is yet no deal. And if there ever is such a deal, it includes no money for the United States government. It includes lower tariffs, agrees to lower tariffs for businesses, which may help consumers pay less 
uh, for their products, but there's no money flowing into the government from this deal. Not to our government, not to the Mexican government, not to Canada. That's not what trade deals are all about. So there's no money for the wall in that deal. Just by the way, Mr. President. Joanna, what's going on here? <laughs> so you look back. I was surprised when I read your stuff about 2018. Um, I'd forgotten a lot that happened in 2018. Oh, yes. Or maybe if I didn't forget about it, I thought it had happened you know, longer before that. Mm. But you took a look at, like, let's start with some of the headlines that really jump out, right? Yeah. In, what were the big moments that we... The big moments, 2018, was all about the Parkland shooting, gun control. Um, which was? Which was in February. February, okay. February 2018. Yeah. See, I thought it was back 2017. I did, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. It just, it, it well, that's what happens when 2018 feels like five years. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just exhausting. This actually going back and doing this project, um, we had a little PTSD um, as reporters because looking back on everything that happened in 2018, just the onslaught of news was just very overwhelming. So how we put this project together was... It's a very common question in polling before you ask an opinion about something. So, for example, whose fault do you think the shutdown currently is, Republicans or Democrats? It's very common to first ask, how much have you seen, read or heard um, about a certain event? It mm. kind of just gauges, you know, news uh, penetration, how much people have heard about certain things. It also allows you to do some complicated things with data where you can just look at those who said they've heard a lot and look at their opinions. So basically what we did is we were in the field nearly every week of 2018 um, polling on a whole variety of issues, mostly government, mostly political issues, but also some media and entertainment issues. And what we realized is that we had kind of inadvertently put together an entire year of news penetration. So what are the news that people had heard about? Yeah, so we went back right. throughout the entire uh -huh. year and looked at all the seen red herds, which is what they're called, for the entire year to see what kind of news came out. Um, so it was Parkland was huge. Um, the gun control debates, Kavanaugh was also very big. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, and uh, Trump's meetings with Putin um, and uh, Kim Jong-un were actually very... Uh, a lot of people had heard about those as well. And looking back on it, it, I mean, these things happened in, I mean, late winter, early spring, and we had completely forgotten about them. Yeah. So it's very right. it was helpful to go back and be like, okay, this is what the year was. Right. But the Parkland shooting was the, the news item that penetrated the most um, Americans' minds. I think it was 76% had heard a lot about that shooting. And um, and that led, of course, to the big march. Mm-hmm. Um, and March for Your Lives March was also lives, one right. of, yep, um, gun control and March for Your Lives were also some of the uh, news items that people had heard a lot about. Now, what's interesting about this is that, you know, we live and breathe news. We literally report it and we talk about it every day. But for the most part, most Americans had not heard a lot about most of the items that, that we put out there. I think we had 130 news events that we polled about and we analyzed about 70 of them. Only 13 news events a majority of people had heard about. Isn't that isn't that crazy? Uh, it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, I find that crazy. For example, yeah. For example, Alexandria um, um, Ocasio Cortez. Only 14 percent of people said they heard a lot about her winning the primary in June. 14 percent nationwide. Nationwide. Right? What's stunning about that, particularly, is for those of us who live here in the bubble, right? Yeah. You know. <laughs> We are so plugged in, right, uh, all day long, 
mm-hmm. and something like that, you know, this big deal for us. Uh, but when you get outside of, well, yeah, I, let me ask you. Th- that's probably true of Washington and New York. Mm-hmm. Where else? Is it, mo- is it the heartland that is sort of tuned out, or is it just yeah. outside of the Beltway? We didn't um, break out by region. We we might be able to, given how many people we polled. I think there was 100,000 registered voters collectively in all of this analysis. Um, but I think it does speak to kind of the coasts, this, um, yeah, right. this idea that all of us are a lot more plugged in, this news bubble that we currently live in. But it's also, you know, the reason that I'm surprised is because I do this for a living. And I, you know, if I hear about something an hour after it happened, I think I'm late to the game. Um, but people maybe kind of in You the are with social media today. <laughs> Seriously. Exactly. Yeah. You know. It's also like, it's really interesting, right? It's uh, We are able to curate exactly what we want to hear about. I was really blown away uh, over Thanksgiving. I was down in South Carolina where my uh, conservative parents live. And my dad has an iPad. And I was going through his Facebook page. And because he wanted some help setting something up. And I was looking at the news that he sees on his Facebook page. And boy, I got to tell you, it, it, it is a completely different world, yeah. just a completely different world, a completely different reality. And, you know, a lot of us get our news online. It's not all about, you know, facts printed on a newspaper that show up at our door every day. And. I can just say from that experience, and a lot of people have this experience, you can cultivate a news feed that filters straight into your brain that has nothing to do with reality. Nothing to do with reality. Absolutely. And if you look at the project that we put together on Morning Consult, we put together this huge interactive of all the news events that happened in 2018. And you can literally scroll through the news events if you want, if you don't want to, if you don't want to relive last right. year, you yeah. don't have to. By the way, you can do so at morningconsult.com. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. Right? Um, you can scroll through the timeline and see, uh, we did this kind of intentionally. The size of each bubble represents how much each partisan heard about different events. And you can look at Republicans versus Democrats. Um, and we use bubbles intentionally because we do live in news bubbles. We do yeah. live in media bubbles. Um, and for the most part, when you look at um, party divides, which is news that Democrats heard more about than Republicans, or news that Republicans heard more about Democrats, you'll see an, an interesting pattern, which is basically that people love hearing good news about their party. They like hearing good news about themselves. So, for example, the um, New York Times uh, investigation about uh, Trump's alleged tax fraud in the 1990s, that was the most politically divisive event of 2018. More Democrats heard about it than Republicans. I think only 16 percent of Republicans heard a lot about that versus something like 40 percent of Democrats. Well, is it well, back to Peter's point? It does it depend on um, whom you tune into, for example. You know, some people do get all of their they never watch anything but Fox News. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or on the radio, they won't listen to anybody but a Sean Hannity or, a, um, you know, Rush Limbaugh, if he's still around or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so naturally, there there are filters or screens set up inside of that. There's some stories they're not going to hear about. Absolutely, um, a well-known fact that the majority of Republicans trust and and watch Fox News a lot. 
um, in terms shocking. of shocking, sh- shocking um, in terms of Democrats, their their trust is is largely split over network news and broadcast news. They like MS- MSNBC, they like CNN, they like ABC. Um, they like NPR. They like NPR, um, but their so their uh, media consumption is a little bit more fragmented. Oh yeah. Whereas yeah. Republicans do tend to get a majority of their news from places like Fox News. So. Right. Uh, by the way, Morning Consult, I know you're, with your polling, you pair with one of the networks, correct? Or one of Politico. the newspapers. With Politico. Yep. Um, we're yeah. also with The Hollywood Reporter. Um, we mm-hmm. are doing entertainment um, data with them. Most um, of your polling I see is through Politico because yeah. they're Politico Morning Consult. Yep, exactly. And that's where a lot of this analysis was pulled from, from our Morning Consult Politico um, surveys because we're in the field every single week polling on basically whatever happens in the government. Right. And when something penetrates through, like, mm-hmm. you know, Parkland, is it mainly television? Is it online? Is it print, mm-hmm. radio? Do, is there a, still such a thing as print? <laughs> yeah, here it is. What is, is that? Some, what is that? This morning, <laughs> New York Times, yeah. But. You know, it really varies. Um, a majority of Americans still do get their news from television. I think the last time Pew asked this, it was something like 57%, so just over kind of the majority line. Um, but most people st- still get their news from TV. I think that's different from, again, people on the coast where I I, I don't own, I think I, I think we might have cable with our, um, you know, our bundle of cable mm-hmm. and Wi-Fi, but we don't watch cable. We, we get everything from Twitter. Um, so that also varies by age. Um, so the way people are consuming media is definitely changing. But for the most part, in the majority of the country, people are still watching television to get their news, their local news, their national news, et cetera. Right. Um, So, um, by the way, how much was Donald Trump um, big news item in 2018? He was up there... um, What's interesting is that his meetings um, with certain individuals, Kim Jong Un, you mentioned Putin, um, Putin, Putin and Kim Jong Un. Right. Those were those were among the top kind of fifteen news items um, for but, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, you know, I, I would think again, living here in the Beltway and the job work that I do, that uh, day in day out, Donald Trump was the biggest news story of twenty eighteen. You'd be surprised. Um, so I'm not sure if you remember the uh, the Harvard study about Hurricane Maria, um, where it came out that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, don't. Where it came out that I think the Trump administration said um, so many people had died. I think it was oh, a, right. a low yeah, number. Oh, yeah. I know. It's very right. yes, low. Yeah. Very low. And, and it then, turned out to be like 4,000 or more. Right? Yeah, yeah. And the Harvard study came out um, and showed that right. around that time, was also the time that Roseanne got canceled um, because mm-hmm. of Roseanne's bar, Roseanne Barr's tweet um, about, oh my God, the name is escaping me, but it um, many perceived it as a very racist tweet. Um, 60% of people had heard a lot about the Roseanne tweet. I think it was like 15% of people had heard a lot about the Harvard study. So that just shows you that people are not necessarily paying attention to capital N news when it comes to, it was a Harvard study about people that died during Hurricane Maria, and not a lot of people had heard about it, but a lot of people had heard about the Roseanne tweet. Uh, So you've looked back at 2018. I guess you can't look ahead to 2019, right, until stuff happens. We can't. We're starting to kind of compile all these scene red herds um, for 2019, so we'll have an analysis, hopefully ongoing, 
Um, but if 2019 is anything like 2018, it'll be it'll be exhausting. But uh, and it could be. Well, let's hope God forbid we don't have another Parkland, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of politically, this could be a supercharged. Will be, I think, a supercharged year. Yeah. Because the debates will start. I mean, the, the 2020 has already started. The debates will be coming along, um, and God knows what Donald Trump will be up to. If anybody thinks that 2019 is somehow going to be better than 2018, I've got some bad news for you. It's funny you should say that. (laughs) Um, We asked, uh, one of the other analyses that we did is we asked folks, okay, so this year, how is it compared to 2017? Mm -hmm. And uh, 2018 compared to 2017, 2017. yeah. And then also, how do you think next year is going to be? Yes. And and about as many people overall, all Americans, um, thought that next year is going to be as worse as it is going to be better. So kind of like it evens out. Um, A majority of Republicans say that next year is going to be better, just like a majority of Republicans said this year was better than last. Um, And it splits um, down party lines. So Democrats say that this year was uh, worse than last and they say that they're more likely to say next year is going to be worse than this year. <laughs> so it's basically, it's, you know, like most things that yeah. happened in 2018, it just kind of, it just is split by party. Um, and is there any, do you have any sense now we are into day 20 of the shutdown, mm. right? Mm. Uh, are people aware of it? Give a damn about it? Um Paying attention to it? We should have some polling out today, actually, uh-huh. on that. Um, I don't know it off the top of my head, but we should have it out at morningconsult.com. Um, you can check it out there. Um, but what's interesting about looking towards 2019 is when you ask people about government issues, such as the shutdown, such as immigration, such as unemployment, um, people think that those sectors, those spaces, things are going to be worse than better. But when you ask them about personal things like their love life, like personal finances, uh, work-life balance, they're much more likely to say things are going to be positive than negative. And that's an interesting, I think it's called an optimism bias. People think that, oh, well, everything's going to be fine for me and my family and my life and kind of the spheres around me. But in terms of government and in terms of other people, things are going to be a lot worse. How do you do your polling? Um, Online. All online. Online. Yeah. And they're um, nationally representative samples of, it's usually about uh, 2,000 or 2,200 people, um, about 1,900 registered voters. Uh, and how do you get them? How do we get the online polls? No. How do you get, how do you find the people that you're talking to? Uh, I'm not the best person to talk okay. to about that, but um, we put out calls for panels just like any other kind of polling firm. So. Yeah. Well, I'm just want, I'm getting to the authenticity or the mm-hmm. credibility of not only your work but of all pollsters, which have yeah. uh, taken a hit lately because the pollsters, in some cases, have been so wrong, yeah. particularly in political campaigns. And you know, the whole question I hear all the time is that that polling used to be done all by phone, right? Uh, and then people are saying, well, the problem is younger people don't have landlines. You know, you, they're not going to find line? them. Exactly. What's a landline? <laughs> yeah. And so they're not talking to people on their cell phones. Now yeah. you're saying you've moved from the landline to the mobile phone to online. online. How do you know they're real people and not bots? We have certain tests that we put forward to make sure that they're not robots. How many Russians? About a third. 
About a third. About a third, <laughs> give or take. Yeah. Um, but you know, online polling. My, you know, not to go on a, onto a soapbox too much, but online polling, I think, is the future of polling. There aren't a lot of people that still use landlines and pick them up. Caller ID is quite right. common yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so the response rates are actually quite low. So online, in each mode, um, telephone versus online, kind of has its own issues. Um, but online is is. Well, I'm is fascinated by that. You'd have to have a way to make sure that there's a real person oh, sitting at that so. computer. Oh, we make right? sure. Yeah. Um, and, and we have a little checkbox that says, are you Russian? And we just ha- ask them oh, to check oh, that. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can really play with you what, on that one. What colors are on the Russian flag? That's <laughs> <Yeah>. the test. <laughs> All right. Fascinating stuff. Thanks, Joanna, so much for coming in. Don't forget, follow Joanna's good work and all of our good friends here at Morning Consult. It's easy, morningconsult.com. Jennifer Habercorn covers the White House for the great L.A. Times. She'll be joining us next year at the top of the hour. We'll take a quick break. Thanks again, Joanna. And we'll be back with hour number two of the Bill Press Show. Don't go away. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube youtube.com slash the bill press show and remember if you haven't already done so make sure to subscribe to this podcast on itunes and while you're there please rate and review the show that means a lot to us and thanks so much for your support Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Baby Donald throws another temper tantrum down at the White House. Give that baby his binky and shut him up. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go. Thursday, January 10. The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us as we uh, tackle the big headlines of the day. Mainly dealing with the continuing shutdown, we are in day 20 now, day 20 of the Trump shutdown, Uh, and Donald Trump fleeing town today and going down to the border with Mexico uh, to prove and to do and to say absolutely nothing. I mean, in terms of his comments, they'll be the same old pack of lies we've heard. In In terms of his time and any impact this might have, Uh, Donald Trump himself has said it's a waste of time. It's just a big publicity stunt. But he is going because his some of his advisors at the White House think that he should think that it will look good for the cameras. Uh, That's the extent of his effort to ease the shutdown and get government workers back to work. He doesn't care. Uh, Meanwhile, Big news on the Mueller front uh, happened yesterday. We talked a little bit about it, but yes, now we know. We have the first absolute concrete evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian officials where Paul Manafort, according to Robert Mueller, according to the Justice Department, uh, was, as he was campaign chairman for Donald Trump, handing, giving out, providing Russian intelligence officials with polling data on the Trump-Clinton campaign. Bingo, guilty as charged. 
It is the Bill Press Show. We look forward to hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, Jennifer Habergorn from the LA Times joins us in just a couple of minutes. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, we've got a little bit of a scandal, Bill. Uh-oh. This again involves cycling here in America. Cyclist Carl Grove is in a lot of trouble because it turns out he was doping. Doping. Now, have you heard of Carl Grove, the cyclist? Uh, no. Well, it's probably because he is 90 years old. He Uh-oh. is 90 years old, and he is still doping. He's won 18 national championships in cycling. And you know what I say? If you're 90 years old and you're not doping, you're doing it wrong. If you're if you're 90 years old, you need all the drugs you can get. Hell yes. I can't believe they're going to yeah. punish this guy. But U.S. Cycling does have a category for 80 to 90-year-olds. And again, like I said, he has accumulated 18 different national championships in that age range, but they're going to have to take them away from him. He's going to have to give them back because he was doping. Doping. Uh, good for him, you know. Uh, you. Just the fact that he's out there cycling, biking, right? 90 years uh, 90? old. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about the shutdown here, by the way, and uh, look, it's hard out there for workers. It's very hard out there for it, workers. It, it, no, it is. And, and nobody's paying as much attention to that. Certainly not the president of the United States. Well, I'll tell you who is paying attention. Some restaurants, especially here oh, in the Washington, yeah, D.C. area. Yeah. Leading the way is, who else? Jose Andres. He tweeted early on, <laughs> as soon as the shutdown took effect, I will offer free sandwiches to the poor men and women of the federal government, Republicans, and Democrats at all of his D.C. restaurants until they get paid again. Other restaurants have followed that. They are offering lots of special deals, lots of freebies. All you have to do is have a government ID to show off. You could get uh, cheap or free uh, lunch, beer. There are some places that are offering deals like a sandwich, fries, and a beer for, you know, six bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, all you have to do is just show that you have a government ID. And uh, a lot of restaurants are really hurting, meaning... They're empty. Yeah, right. exactly. Breakfast places, lunch places, dinner places. The website, Washington's a ghost town. The website Eater.com has a good roundup of all the people offering deals, by the way. Eater.com. Got it. This is the Bill Press Show. You bet it is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. It is day 20 of the shutdown, and uh, Donald Trump still says, until I get my wall, my great, big, beautiful concrete wall on the southern border, no federal federal employees are going to be able to get back to work. Uh, heartless Donald at the White House and a, at least 800,000 federal families, federal workers and their families suffering because of it. Hello, everybody. Here we are on Thursday, January 10, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on Twitter. uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) We'll get to Twitter in just a second. On the radio in Chicago and all about Chicago on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago, and joining you on television on Free Speech TV, 
Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of the program. I look forward to getting your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, by the way, we just had um, uh, Joanna Piacenza from um, Morning Consult on. Uh, Peter, uh, that's big polling firm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, during our break, I just uh, went online for just a second, and the first story that popped up was from Morning Consult. Um, oh, nice. They have done a little survey, if I may steal from them, uh, of the most popular senators. Where they've done a, a polling on oh, most how senators, senators rank. Yeah. Uh, Get this. this can I guess? Surprise. Well, Oh, go ahead. I'll let okay. you. Do, I'll, I'll let you. Do. I'll get to that. So, anyhow, just a couple of samples. <laughs> okay. Lindsey Graham. Oh, jeez. Fifty-one percent approve. Feels a little high, but okay. Mitch McConnell, thirty-eight. Wow. Percent approve. Forty-seven disapprove. Uh, Susan Collins, fifty-three percent approve. Anyhow, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I will let you guess now. Who is the most popular United States senator? Most popular United States senator? Gosh, it's got to be Ted Cruz, Bill. <laughs> uh, uh, am I wrong? Least popular, you're right. Okay, Probably. yeah. I would imagine I don't it would know be for the sure. least popular. Most popular. Most popular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say Kamala Harris. Bernie Sanders. Oh, of course, duh. Of course, Bernie yeah. would be the most. Sixty-four percent. That's great. Yeah. So, um, the. Interesting to see, you know, he can. It gives him a little confidence, I'm sure. Sure, say, yeah, hey. absolutely. Yeah, and I do, I do. I think we should point out, Ted Cruz has to be the least popular, right? So check it out, Morning Consult. We'll cool. Find more about it. Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, maybe Mitch McConnell's popularity down so low uh, because people see that he's uh, kind of abdicated any responsibility uh, in the Senate to the President of the United States, saying. Uh, we're not even going to discuss anything or debate anything or certainly not vote on anything in the Senate unless the president tells us ahead of time that this is something he could support. Uh, what's going on with the Congress? Any um, light at the end of the shutdown tunnel? Jennifer Habercorn covers the Congress for the Los Angeles Times, joining us in studio. Jennifer, it's good to see you again. Good Happy to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, too. Um, I uh, was... Trying to go on a power walk yesterday around noontime down past the Capitol and down the mall. And I couldn't even get close to the Capitol because it was all ringed off with yellow tape. The president and the vice president both coming mm-hmm. up yesterday to meet with um, Republican senators, I guess. That's right. right. And okay. House members. And, and House members as well. Right. Um, what is the feeling among Republicans on this shutdown? Are they totally behind the president? That's certainly what Mitch McConnell wants us to think. He came back from that White House meeting yesterday and said, look, we're all united behind the president and wouldn't answer any more questions. But the senators that I've spoken to are divided. You know, there there are a lot who are behind the president. They want this border wall fight. They think it's good politics, good policy. But there's several who are nervous, you know, Cory Gardner and Susan Collins, despite her popularity. um, Both of them are up in 2020 and they're seeing the signs that this is not a great place for them to be. And they are urging the president to end the shutdown and reopen the government. We saw eight um, Republicans in the House vote with Democrats yesterday on a measure to reopen the Treasury Department. Um, Actually, some of the outreach from the White House has worked. Those numbers are lower than people thought they were originally going to be. Uh But 
I think the longer this goes on and once those paychecks on Friday don't go out, it's going to get more and more difficult for Republicans to stay together. In fact, Trump, um, President Trump yesterday in the lunch with Senate Republicans said we have to hang together. You know, that famous quote from Ben Franklin, hang yeah. together, or hang separately. Um, but I thought that was very morbid for the situation they're in right now. I mean, I, a lot of Republicans are worried that Trump is going to leave them hanging because he did so in December. The Senate voted on a bill thinking Trump was going to sign it. And then he was mm -hmm. like, oh, sorry, I won't. So it's not a great place for Republicans to be in right now. Right. And I point out that the um, Senator Collins, Senator Gardner, they didn't say we oppose the wall. Right. Right. What they're saying is, and I thought Senator Lisa Murkowski said it most directly, right, we can get the government back working, reopen the government, mm -hmm. and while we continue to debate border security, if, including the wall. Exactly. And of course, you know, from Trump's perspective, he feels <clears throat> like he has leverage with the government <clears throat> closed. Um, but again, I think Republican senators are going to get nervous about the idea that, you know, this could be... Um, portrayed as holding federal employees hostage over the border wall. How many senators would you need, do you think, for Mitch McConnell to say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll vote? Like the Treasury, in fact, Speaker Pelosi yesterday when she came out and spoke to reporters at the White House, she pointed out that the bill that they passed yesterday by a vote of 240 to 188 in the House with, as you said, eight Republicans supporting it, that this was a bill that had passed the Senate mm -hmm. almost almost word for word mm -hmm. before Christmas. So here's uh, Super Speaker Pelosi. We didn't come up with our own idea in terms of negotiating. We took their idea and said, again, take yes, uh, take yes for an answer. So how many Republicans will it take to go to Mitch McConnell and say, look, we voted for this before. Let's just vote for it again. A lot. I mean, McConnell is very good at protecting his members, and he knows that any vote that divides his members is going to be bad, particularly for, you know, they have 22 seats to defend in 2020, mm -hmm. and 20 of them are um, in, in Trump states. So the politics of the Senate, you could argue, has pulled to the right um, in, in this kind of an election year. And I, I mean, and then you start getting to the point of, are you close to a veto-proof number? Right, and, right. And, you know, they're very far off from that. They're far from it in the House, too. With yeah. eight Republicans, they need 55 to get to a veto-proof in the House, right? Yeah, and, you uh, know, they're They have projected, uh, and you indicated that uh, the same thing, that as many as 15 to 25 might defect. Yeah, I thought, I thought that number was going to be higher. Mm -hmm. I think even uh, Kevin McCarthy figured the number would be higher. Probably. Yeah. And that's why Pence was there, you know, to twist arms and why the president was on the Senate side to twist some arms as well. Right. Uh, but again, the question is, how long are they going to hang hang tight? Right. Yeah. I mean, at some point, it just seems to me they're going to have to break and say, look, this is costing us too much politically. Right. And, you know, that's what McConnell's good at. McConnell's good at getting out of these sticky negotiations and importantly, giving both sides something that they feel like is a win. I don't know what that is right now. You know, you can't do half of a wall. Mm -hmm. You can't do like a little wall. So it's hard to see how you compromise on a wall or no wall. Yeah. I mean, the president thought the compromise was we'll build it out of steel instead right. of concrete, which hasn't really worked. Now, meanwhile, in the Senate, um, is there, while this is going on, is it business as usual in terms of other bills, 
other legislation? Republicans want that to be the case, but Democrats, interestingly, are staging a fill. Well, they staged a filibuster two days ago. I expect they're going to do one again today. McConnell's trying to do um, unrelated legislation, and Democrats are saying, no, we're not going to vote to proceed on anything that isn't reopening government, which I think is really interesting because, you know, Democrats are the party that likes to govern. They're more likely to cave on things like this and say, well, let's just, you know, move along with the process. And they're not doing that this time. They're really, they feel like the policy and politics is on their side, and they're saying, no, we're going to not let things go forward. We're not going to approve judges. We're not going to approve everything else. And I, I think that's pretty interesting. And, and um, I'm interested to see how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do expect they're going to be successful today and stop this uh, unrelated bill from moving forward. Um, As they were two days ago exactly. in the bill that had to do with a Middle East foreign aid, I guess. Exactly. Foreign, yeah, right. Even to Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? For Democrats to stand up and lead a charge against foreign aid for Israel, long, long time ally, um, was a pretty bold move and Mm -hmm. pretty gutsy move, I guess. Um, But their point is, um, let's get the government, uh, our number one priority is to get the government back to work. Number one priority, reopen the government. Once we do that, I mean, this bill, Middle East bill, would have passed easily, right? Yeah. So they've got some leverage there. Mm Mm-hmm. And they, I haven't seen them exercise it like this before. Right. It's Chris Van Hollen, the one who put this group together. Yeah. And are all Democrats on board? Um, enough of them, anyhow. Enough of them. Four Democrats voted with Republicans two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see if those four stick with them. Um, but, uh, um, you know, if if... Chris Van Hollen led the measure mostly because, you know, he's a Maryland senator, a lot of federal employees in this area. But there's federal employees all over the country. So any senator can make an argument that they're protecting the federal workers in their state. The House yesterday passed the bill which would reopen Treasury and IRS. This is only one of a series of bills. When's the next one up for a vote? Today. Today there's going to be two. And I think those are going to be interesting. Um, Which uh, agencies do you know? uh, We're going to have agriculture. So that'll be uh, food Uh stamps, most interestingly. And FDA, food inspections, Mm -hmm. um, which has become controversial since... You know, FDA has uh, doesn't have the resources to do all the food inspections they normally do. Um, I think that one could be interesting because we could see more defections. Um, yeah. You know, uh, IRS isn't the most popular government right. agency in the world. Right. But ag, you know, particularly, well, farmers, mm-hmm. subsidies, you mentioned food stamps. And the FDA, I saw a piece on the news last night where um, people were concerned about what they're buying in the supermarkets now because mm-hmm. the regular inspections of FDA aren't taking place. Right. Um, and this will be a test also of, of Pence's strength in the caucus if he can twist enough arms to keep those numbers as low as possible. Uh, Ag, is there a second bill also? There is, and I'm forgetting uh, which one it is exactly right now, um, but Ag for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there, and each one of these, given the Democrats control the House, is going to pass. Then right. it's a question of whether any of them will get a vote in the Senate. And the answer to that right now is no. Is no. Yeah. Right. And it's designed, too, to see how many Republicans they can flip. I mean, Pelosi's doing that for a reason. Right. Um, Senator, uh, Senator, um, I wish, uh, Congressman John Yarmuth from Kentucky is joining us uh, in, in the next half hour. And I want to ask him, too, but I'm curious in your take on, of those senators who are up for re-election in 2020 and considered 
that may have a challenge, mm-hmm. right? If you look at the four senators, Republicans so far, who have said, we think we ought to reopen the government and get on with business, all four of them are up in 2020, and all four of them are considered they could have a challenge. Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, Tom Tillis, and Lisa Murkowski. Mm-hmm. But so is Mitch McConnell. Yeah. And it, So does he consider himself so impregnable that uh, he can do whatever the hell he wants <laughs> and not face a serious challenge in Kentucky? I think he's, um, you know, Kentucky right now looks better for him this cycle than last cycle. Um, I think Democrats aren't as, as strong in Kentucky right now as they were in, in 2014. Um, but they're, you know, I was just talking to um, someone who used to work for McConnell who said that they're, you know, gearing up like it's just it's going to be just as difficult because they know, you know, even even if Democrats have a contested primary and it's really messy that, um, you know, if anything, Democrats in Kentucky view taking on McConnell as a step toward higher office. Um, Allison Lundergan Grimes, who lost yeah. to McConnell in 2014, obviously hasn't gone on to brighter and better things, but we know her name. Um, and, and that's really important to Democrats, um, particularly in a state like that. And, you know, it's early. Um, things could really change quickly there and he could get a, a serious challenge um, and he's the majority leader he knows he's a target right uh, I've been impressed by the team effort that we've seen uh, in the last particularly in the last week between Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. um, I mean from the joint address the response to Donald Trump to uh, actually it was even before the beginning of the the, the the new year when they had their famous meeting with Donald Trump in the Oval Office. Yeah, you know, um, a few days ago, where they had a meeting at the White House, the two of them came out together and spoke. Yesterday, after another meeting, the two of them together and spoke. Uh, they really have they're really working in tandem, aren't they? And yeah. I don't remember seeing that before. That I mean, real partnership and mm. absolute solid message between the two Democratic leaders. They do seem to be hitting on all cycles right now. Um, one of the Republicans' goals was to divide them. And yeah. if you remember before Pelosi had her speaker vote, you know, a lot of the Republican message was, well, Pelosi can't deal because she is worried about her speaker vote. And obviously that's come and gone. And, you know, she did well there. And um, they haven't been able to draw any difference between Pelosi and Schumer. Um, I And I don't think there is one to be had here. I think they're united on the wall. They've Again, good policy, good politics, and I, I don't think they're going to be able to divide them. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. even even these the Democratic filibusters in the Senate that reinforces, you know, both positions. Right. Uh, I saw one one article today or yesterday where Schumer and Pelosi. There's there's so much in sync that in meetings, you know, they sort of finish each other's sentences. Right. That. Yeah. And do yeah. you so you get that sense covering them. Oh right? yeah, that, definitely. Um, you know, we don't see any daylight between the two, even even the camps, um, House and Senate leaders. Um, we don't see any difference. And and to your point, that's pretty new and unique. Mm-hmm. When you talk to Republicans in the Senate, do any of them tell you privately? I've got some problems with this, but. Oh, yeah. For now I'm, I'm on board, but. They're they're frustrated. Um, I was talking to one senator yesterday who off the record said, you know, he hates shutdowns. And, and of course, everyone hates a shutdown. But well, Mitch McConnell was on board for <laughs> hating a shutdown until about December 31, right? Yeah. That's true. Um, but no one feels like the Republicans can say 
publicly that they feel like the wall is on their side and this is good politics. But look, going back to December, what was it, 20th? They voted on a bill that would have reopened government with no wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, the White House did them no favors. And even Senator Rubio said publicly to a bunch of reporters, you know, if the White House wanted this fight, we would have been with them December 1st. And we could have geared up for this. But they felt blindsided. And so that doesn't lead to any kind of goodwill. Um, Even if even for the senators who feel like the wall is good politics and they're for it, um, you know, the. The White House didn't really have its act together in terms of preparing for that Senate vote or responding afterward. No, I mean, uh, and, and I, I felt blindsided, too, because I remember this happened uh, the Thursday, whatever that day was, 21st or 20, 21st of December, um, was my last day on the show before the Christmas break. Um, and I had just been to the White House the day before. We had that our one briefing in December. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were told by Sarah Huckabee Sanders that um, what, what the Senate was planning on doing, and Paul Ryan had said they were going to pass it in the House, mm-hmm. that the White House was okay with it because we're, the president has us all looking at other ways to find the money for the wall. So basically, yeah, exactly. everybody, everybody and I, you know, and that was Wednesday, was Thursday morning, I announced all of our viewers and listeners, uh, there won't be any shutdown because all three parties right. are on board, Right. Well, by the time I was on a plane at noon, the whole thing had fallen apart. Oh, right? yeah. I'd, I had a flight booked out of town on Thursday morning that I had originally yeah. canceled. So um, but all... I thought I was going to be on that plane. Right. So the White House did stab the the senators, Republican senators in the back and, and, and certainly put out the wrong message. And it happened because of Mark Meadows, right? Mm-hmm. We think. I mean, we were told he went down to the White House and also... Um, the conservative media exactly, really got yeah. on Donald Trump's case, right? And uh, and they have a point, right? They Republican um, uh, members in the House told Trump, "We don't want this fight until after the midterms." And you know, the midterms passed, and they promised Trump this fight. And so they had a point that they had made a pledge to the president, but the president was willing to go ahead with not funding the wall. So it was it's. I mean, all shutdowns are kind of silly, but this one is looks probably per- the silliest. Look, yeah, looks particularly silly. Yeah, and um, b- back to this vote. I keep coming back to and making the point that, too, Republicans controlled the House and the Senate for two years mm-hmm. and the White House. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump did not get his money for the wall. Yeah, he didn't get his money for the wall. He didn't get the Right. Um, but so particularly speaking on the wall, the idea that he can get it now when he couldn't get it when they were in charge doesn't really add up. Right? Yeah, it seems like it's a, mis- a different world. A miscalculation. I don't know why anyone thought they'd have more leverage when Pelosi controlled the House. It just it. And, and and you know now there's some Republicans who are saying let's go back to DACA for the wall, which Democrats have taken off the table. Um, Lindsey Graham uh, yeah. was apparently was talking to Jared Kushner about it yesterday. Some other senators. But, I mean, why would Pelosi feel like that's in her favor right now? Well, as Dick Durbin pointed out yesterday, they had a deal on DACA a year ago. Yeah. They went through this whole Mickey Mouse kind of charade then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was – it wasn't wall, but it was all this immigration reforms right. or whatever that the White House wanted, uh, restrictions that the Democrats – indicated they were willing to go along with in response in return for mm-hmm. permanent protection for the for the dreamers 
And again, the president pulled the plug and and pulled out of the deal. So, and that's they're not going to. They just you know, <laughs> what's the old thing? Fool me once, right? right? <laughs> I won't try to give the George W. Bush version. Of that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but that's that's generated some bad blood just in right. negotiations. Right. I mean, how can you trust someone who? You know, has said one thing in the past and then re- reneged on his word. And uh, I talked with um, Senator Durbin, Senator Schumer, talked to reporters after their meeting yesterday, mm-hmm. and they don't see a way to ne- actually negotiate, which of course is crippling the whole process. But right. it's because of things like that. Um, acting Attorney General um, Whitaker is up for confirmation hearings. Mm-hmm. Are they going to go forward and when? Well, they're scheduled to as of next week, but um, I do think if the government is still shut down, that could um, it, it could prompt Democrats to stage an, a, a protest to say, you know, we're not going to move forward with any kind of nominating process until the government's reopened. And you know, if if Democrats find that these filibusters on legislation are I, successful, yeah. they might be able to. Actually, I think I misspoke. Whitaker is the acting, but Barr, Barr William Barr, the hearings would be on, not on Whitaker, but on Barr. On William Barr right. for his confirmation. But he is making visits to senators on Capitol Hill as if hearings are going to proceed, correct? And only some senators. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar tweeted yesterday that she tried to get a meeting and she was told that he cannot meet because of the shutdown. Um but that's. But I I saw a video of him last night meeting with a couple of. He met with Lindsey Graham yesterday, didn't he? He's meeting with Republicans. Oh. So Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota, said that she tried to get the meeting and she couldn't, which is pretty bad politics to not meet with the members of the committee that's going to take up your nomination, and uh, I expect he would try to schedule that meeting before a confirmation hearing, but we'll see. I mean, you talk about. Bad politics, right? Going into that committee, I wouldn't want to go into that committee meeting when I had refused to vote to meet with any. Has he met with any other Democrats? Not that I know of, but he 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 may have. He's going to have to. I mean, normally yeah. they meet with. I know they meet with members of both parties. Yeah, the they ju- usually meet with just about everybody on the Judiciary Committee, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Senator Feinstein is not going to meet with her. I don't know about that. I imagine. I mean, I I don't know how he could ever go into that hearing not having met with her. Particularly if she asked for a meeting, which I'm sure she would. Um, and how is the shutdown impacting um, Congress at all? Are congressional staffers getting paid? They are. Um, so the so what are they considered essential federal employees? Well, the bill that funds Congress's actions was already approved, so they're set. They're um, if if the entire government was shut down, con- members of Congress, their staffs would not be paid or would be on this essential program in which they have to work, but they don't get right. paid. But Congress is fully funded. Um, wouldn't that, um, it, it, isn't that in itself an obstacle to resolving the problem? Perhaps. Um, you could also argue that congressional staff is needed to try to get through this process and to, to do these negotiations. But um, you could argue that if senators had to do the negotiations themselves, it might be. More fruitful. Well, it's another good question for our good friend, uh, exactly, John Yarmouth. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, when they carve out so many exceptions, and the White House has been pretty good, they're looking like if they heard that people may not get their IRS checks. Well, then they say, no, 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 we're going to send out the IRS right. checks, right? They make all these little adjustments, right? Yeah, to where there could be some bad publicity 
resulting from the shutdown. Yeah. yeah. I saw, um, I was watching CNN the, the night of the president's speech, and they did a story on a young child who's trying to get a, a, a drug approval for a, um, yeah. a very serious disease. And um, they did the, the series, and then Scott Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner, texted Rick Santorum, who was on the panel, within five minutes and said, you know, we're going to get that approved. He, he, of course, said that it wasn't related to the shutdown, that this drug wasn't getting approved, but they realized that that's bad politics. All right. What's up today in the Congress? Um, so today we're going to have that Senate vote, which I'm expecting um, Democrats will filibuster. We're going to have the House vote on the agriculture and another funding bill um, and, you know, more shutdown politics. Okay. Um, we're going to be heading out soon. Right down the street. We'll let you get back to work. Thanks, Jennifer, so much for coming in. Los Angeles Times, always a great newspaper, as great as it ever was. Right now, latimes.com. Uh, check it out. And join me in welcoming Congressman John Yarmuth to the studio after a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, it is the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody, on this Thursday, January 10. So good to see you today. Thanks for being part of the program as we come to you, like I mentioned that, from Washington. But it we're brought to you today uh, by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. Uh, they are a proud union family themselves. And they protect and serve and provide for America's working families every day at America's great retail grocery chains across the country. Uh, check out their website at ufcw.org. And we thank them for the sponsorship of the program. Uh, and welcome to the program, a very powerful man indeed from the United States Congress, who is not only a congressman representing Kentucky's 3rd Congressional District, he is also chair of the House Budget Committee, uh, and share, at least the last time I checked, of the House Bourbon Caucus. Absolutely. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I would not surrender that <laughs> Don't give that post <laughs> no, up. You, that's, that's yours. Congressman John Yarmouth, it's good to see you, sir. <laughs> good to see you, Bill. I actually drank coffee this morning out of the bill, my Bill Press mugs. So. Oh, you did? Yeah, just, oh, cool. Yeah, just good to prepare. You. That's weird. I was, drinking, I was drinking bourbon out of my Bill Press mug this morning. That's so. what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> Although happy hour, I've, that's one of my standard lines now that with Trump in office, happy hour in Washington's now 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Might as well be, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so, Congressman, what is going on, You, if anybody can explain it, with Mitch McConnell? I mean, he has, in effect, abdicated his responsibility as Senate Majority Leader saying, yeah. I will not bring anything up for a vote unless the President of the United States tells me ahead of time that he would sign it. Is, is right. that the constitutional role of Congress? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, in a word, yeah. no. Um, yeah, when he said that the first time, I, I went ballistic on him in, in local media and said, yeah, ex- using the same words, this was an abdication of his responsibility. He's basically turned the legislative process over to the president, and we can't uh, sustain our democracy that way. It's really, really unfortunate because this is the kind of situation that Mitch historically has been very effective in. I mean, when we've had these budget Im- impasses, mm-hmm. he's the one that brought people together and negotiated the deal. So for right. him specifically to be out of the game is is really unfortunate. But you asked why. I, I can only guess. T- two reasons. One is I think he was very chastened when Trump 
uh, pulled the rug out from under him a few weeks ago when in December when he got right. word from the White House that uh, they would sign that bill if he put it through. He got it you know, virtually unanimously passed the spending bills through the. I think it was unanimous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, and then Trump uh, <clears throat> reneged on that deal, and then secondly, he's up for reelection in 2020. He is very unpopular in Kentucky right now. He's polling right at 30 percent approval, 55 percent disapproval. And we've got a governor, also very unpopular, but who may very well challenge him in the primary. Whoa. So I think Mitch is kind of stuck in that position where he's in Kentucky is a lot less popular than Donald Trump is among Republicans. And, uh, you know, it's probably by 40 points difference. Mm. And that's I think he's just afraid to take Trump on. And apparently in the meeting yesterday in the White House, he was he was just stone silent, didn't say a word. Uh, well, he has been. Um, I mean, other other than the statement you and I've talked about, right? Uh, even uh, the last White House meeting, where the president came out to the Rose Garden with Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise and Mike Pence, and no Mitch McConnell. No Mitch, yeah, just chose not to stand there. And they said, "Well, he he was he had so much busy work to do up at, at the Senate. The Senate wasn't in session, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's." Again, it's very unfortunate. So he may he's be in more trouble. I'm sorry, he may be more trouble from a Republican in Kentucky than a Democrat in in 2020. You think? I think I think he's vulnerable to a Democrat as well, but I think he's more vulnerable to a Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, the House voted yesterday 240 to 188 to reopen the Treasury Department and the IRS. Again, McConnell has said so far he wouldn't even bring that up in. The, in the Senate, right. even though this was the same bill they passed, yeah, by the, by unanimous consent, right before. <laughs> uh, what's on the agenda today? Well, we're going to pass two more of the appropriations bills. One is the transportation and HUD uh, appropriation, and then we're also doing the I think the agriculture bill, which has the the food the SNAP uh, provisions, which are very important. So we're going to force the Senate to go on the record. Hopefully they'll go on the record. I mean, Mitch may not bring it up, but that makes a statement in itself that the Republicans in the Senate don't want people to eat, that they don't want people to get their tax refunds, and that they don't want people to get their housing support. Uh, but I think this is a very smart strategy to, to actually, one by one, make the Senate respond to very, very significant, the very significant human cost of this shutdown. The, each of these federal agencies does extremely important work, uh, and for having them shut down is is um, causing a lot of suffering among the American people. Particularly, uh, I think, of interest today is, as you indicated, uh, the Department of Agriculture. One is the, the food stamp program, which right. is a lifeline for millions of Americans, I'm sure, in your state, your district. we in, Well, actually, in, in Kentucky, in total, there are about... Uh, just short of a million people out of 4.4 million people on SNAP. In my district, Whoa, about 100,000. A, yeah. a quarter of the population. Yeah. And in, in uh, for instance, in Hal Rogers' district, which is Appalachia, out of his 700-some-odd constituents, 170,000 of them are mm. on a SNAP. So, yes, it, it has massive consequences in Kentucky and in, in many places. Uh, and then the other is food inspections under, under the FDA. Which we all just take for granted that what we're buying at the supermarkets exactly. has passed inspection and, and that they're out there on the job. Uh, they're not now. They're not. And that I think 
that FDA said that they were, or that uh, and USDA said they're going to have to um, restrict their inspections to high risk things, and they were basically going, going to have to ignore a lot of the inspections they would normally do, which is not comforting. Right. Um, as chair of the House Budget Committee, will you be looking? Well, <laughs> let's just hope the shutdown doesn't continue beyond that. But are you, do you plan to look at some of the impacts of this shutdown on uh, on you know the average American families and how? Well, I think there's going to be plenty of people looking at that. Uh, you know, in my district, for instance, we have just across the Ohio River in Indiana a Census Bureau office. There's 1,700 employees there. They're all furloughed now, and they have no guarantee of being paid for the time they've lost. A lot of them live in my district because it's, mm-hmm. they, they commute. Yeah. So, But you take 1,700 people and out of a, a community, and we're one community in terms of the economy, and take all that that money out of the economy, it hurts everybody. But why wouldn't they be paid? I thought that was the deal, that they, they, they're, they're furloughed, but they're paid when the government finally reopens. Not necessarily. The people who are essential employees what, who are working get paid. So yes, you're right. talking about the Border Patrol and, and FBI agents and, and TSA, TSA and, and those people. But uh, the furloughed employees don't necessarily. We're probably going to have to pass legislation to pay them because they actually aren't working. What is it going to take to end the shutdown? I'm not sure. Uh, we're dealing with a very irrational person in the White House. And we're dealing with a party that is enthralled to him, or at least they're paralyzed by the same fears that I mentioned about Mitch McConnell, that if they take Mitch on, that they're going to be prime. I mean, if they take Trump on, don't support him, they're going to be primaried in, in 2020. Uh, clearly, people want... Republicans want the government to be open. They voted to fund the government unanimously in the Senate, and we had no problem in the House. Of course, in the House, uh, the Speaker, then Speaker Ryan, kind of caved into Trump and added the the border wall money right. at the end when we shouldn't we shouldn't have done that. Uh, I think the the obvious deal would be one which funds the uh, the aid agencies that are shut down, other than Homeland Security, and then continuing resolution for Homeland Security until we can negotiate the border security provision. Trump won't go for that. So I suspect the only way out is for Trump to declare this national emergency and then say he fixed it, which, of course, it's one of those other things. He set the fire, and then we'll take credit for putting it out. Right. Um, And is your read, I'm sure you've talked to some attorneys about this, that he does have the power to declare a national emergency? He has the power to declare the... Don't you have to prove that there is an emergency before no, you can... He, no, he can declare a national emergency, but the the law that uh, follows that, where actually he gets to spend money, is requires a different showing. And the, the question will be whether he can do that or not. But he can declare a national emergency at any minute, any time he wants to, for any reason. And that's why some people have said, well, if... And I think this is a legitimate point. If he's able to get away with that strategy, when there clearly is not a national emergency at the border, where by every metric the the security at the border is actually better than it's been, and in fact, 30 days ago he tweeted out that the southern border is secure. So, right, you know, you can't make the case logically or rationally, but he he can say that and can actually declare it. But if he was able to get away with that strategy, then somebody in a, in a different administration could say, well, we've got a national emergency because of climate change, and therefore go out and, and spend money to do away with all coal-fired power plants, for instance. So it, it's a very, very dangerous 
precedent to set. And Imagine if Barack Obama had done that. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Impeachment resolution it, it, in, it been, in five seconds. Absolutely. Rolling, rolling so fast. Yeah. Right. Uh, also, if he declared a national emergency, it would be challenged in the courts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, there's some question I've heard lawyers discuss. There's some question as to what, as to who would have standing to sue. And then one per, I heard one constitutional expert saying it's doubtful, not doubtful, but it is definitely questionable as to whether Congress has the right to sue, has standing to sue in that particular mm. instance. But clearly a lot of people would file suits and we would, Congress would be one of them, at least the House of Representatives clearly would. Right. Yeah, and it, it seems to me something like that would go directly to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, the fact of the matter is Trump doesn't care. This is all about getting, keep, getting and keeping attention and diverting attention from the Robert other things Mueller. that are coming down. I mean, the, the story that broke yesterday with Manafort and handing political polling information to a Russian operative is uh, about as clear-cut evidence as you could possibly have that there was a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. And there was collusion. <laughs> and there was collusion. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So he's got a lot to distract the people from, but he doesn't care about the wall. We all know that. Um, that was a, it was a, a mnemonic device that was recommended to him so he could remember to talk about um, mm-hmm. uh, immigration. We've already provided, the Congress has uh, $1.6 billion of w- for border security, which of which he spent 6%. That was last year. So, you know, and a wall would take years to build. The thousands of people who may not even be available, and there are no details as to where it would go, and it's it's just silly. And but that's the world we live in right now. And unfortunately, in this particular case, a lot of people are being hurt. Would the um, the deal that some people are floating uh, uh, about throwing the Dreamers into the equation, and we'll okay, we'll trade you a wall for the, the Dreamers? Would that? Fly among Democrats? Um, we talked about that in our caucus meeting yesterday, and actually there was overwhelming opposition to doing that. Uh, I thought it was sounded like a pretty decent trade-off if we could get the, the Dreamers resolved for $5 billion, which probably would never be spent on a wall. But, but yeah. apparently the, the Dreamers themselves, the advocacy groups, think it's, a, it's too high a price to pay, that they, they don't think that's a good trade-off. So they've they've actually, most of the advocacy groups for the Dreamers have said, don't make that deal. It's interesting to me that the uh, Republican side, uh, they're never willing to support the Dreamers. They've had many opportunities to. I mean, and of course, Donald Trump's the one who blew up the program in the first place. Uh, But they never, they're not willing to help it. But every time there's, almost every time at least, there's some impasse on the budget. They suddenly remember the dreamers, pull <laughs> right. it out of their back pocket, and say, "How about how about this bargaining chip?" That's true. Right? That's how, that's how they they only use it for that purpose. That's right. Every once in a while. That's right. One of the to me the very strange things about this whole scenario is that the administration, you know, in a, in a negotiation, you always want to know what the other side wants. The Trump administration seems to think that keeping the government open is a concession. To Democrats, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And it was just like Mick Mulvaney, who's a friend of mine. I like Mick, but he was on Meet the Press Sunday, and Chuck Todd asked him that question: "What are you willing to give?" And Mick said, "Well, 
we've, con- we've agreed to make it steel instead of concrete. That's not a concession at all. It's not anything Democrats care about. So we don't care whether it's the steel or concrete or, you know, plastic. It doesn't really make any difference. Uh, but that's where, you know, we've, they've never been willing to concede anything to us, again, except keeping the government open, which is the basic function of, gov- of, well, of we, leadership. Yeah, we saw how much the president was willing to negotiate yesterday when, right. uh, you know, he said, okay, if I give you, if I reopen the government, yeah, yeah, will you exactly, give me my yeah, wall? Right. Yeah. No, that's course, not a negotiation. No. no. <laughs> All right. Um, and and so, by the way, Donald Trump also says that the Democrats, you, ask for a steel wall, not a concrete wall. <laughs> no. I don't know anyone who asked for a steel wall. Uh, you, <laughs> let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you know any federal employees who are not getting paid or are happy and to give up their paycheck uh, to help with this wall, as Donald <laughs> Trump keeps compl- uh, you know, asserting? You know, I, we had a one, one uh, constituent call yesterday who works somewhere in the federal judiciary system, but a constituent, and she said, um, I'm okay with staying home as long as you don't agree to build the wall. So we oh, had some just people, the opposite. just yeah. the opposite. But we haven't had anybody say that they were happy about um, not being paid. Uh, a couple of other issues you and I have talked uh, so often about, um, by the way, on this point, before we move into it, I, I remember the days, uh, Congressman, when you came in and we talked about, I think it was called the Gang of Eight or the Gang of 14. Mm-hmm. You were part of- Gang of Eight in 2013. Of, yeah, on immigration and so close to coming up with a comprehensive immigration reform plan, Lord, which- that, that, that is, it's such a tragedy because in 2013, the Senate had passed on a bipartisan basis, 24 Republicans joining the Democrats. A very good bill. A very good bill. We- uh, in this gang of eight, worked for seven months. At the end of seven months, seven of the eight of us had signed off on a bill which we were confident would get 260 or 70 votes, and John Boehner would never bring it to the floor. And then the support, our two of the members of the gang of eight withdrew their support after the August recess, and it, it kind of, it just went away. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are today if if that had passed. If that had passed, and, right. it, you know, and in that bill, we had something like forty billion dollars in twenty thirteen dollars. We had forty billion something billion dollars for border security. For border security, yeah, yeah. And it no, was added it, personnel, and it was technology, and and it, it so was forth. a tragic missed opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, John Boehner. Yeah. Another issue that we've talked about. You have never uh, mm-hmm. had, to say the least. Um, uh, much support from the NRA. Uh, and yesterday is one of the first items with the new democratically controlled House, uh, a very strong bill on gun safety. Yeah, on background checks. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're, we're doing that. I wear my F pin on my lapel, which is my grade my rating from the NRA. Oh. oh. Um, I've been, <laughs> I was, I've been uh, curious about that yeah. F rating, or F Lapel button yeah, it's got. funny. About eight months ago, eight or nine months ago, we were at dinner, my my wife and son and, and his then fiance, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about getting a button that says, proud to have an F rating from the NRA. And my now daughter-in-law said, don't do that, just do an F. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're right, that's brilliant. So I had these made about just you know, a month or so later, took a picture of it on my lapel, tweeted it out, 
within two days had 45,000 likes and 8,500 retweets, which for me is a phenomenal amount. For some yeah. other people, it'd yeah. be a normal day, but for, for me, it was amazing. So I gave pins out to a lot of my colleagues. They did the same thing. Everybody got a great reaction from it. And just a few months ago, the NRA announced they were taking the grading system off their website because, <laughs> quote, our enemies are using them against us. No. <laughs> Good for you. So oh, that's I, yeah, great. I mean, it's one of the best things I've ever done. So I wear this proudly every day. And uh, and it's it's great because people ask all the time, you know, they say, oh, did you go to Fordham or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> that no. Is that your kind of you F off to the world? No. This is my NRA grade. And people love it. Yeah, you know it's amazing. I mean, we've we've been doing this show for so long, and the NRA has been such a force for so long that we're actually at a point where we're watching them lose. Their influence seems to be waning. We beat twenty A-rated NRA House members this year, and fifteen Whoa. of our challengers were F-rated. Really? That's where. Oh, that's man. that's how much the table has turned. And what that's what we've amazing. seen is the people who have always been concerned about gun safety and obviously the the urgency has and the impact of gun violence has just continued to mount over the the years but it was always those people were always when they asked about their their voting priorities the issues they cast their vote on it was always around number 10 11 or 12 yeah, now yeah. it's number two three or four or even one in some cases and so it's become a, a much different issue politically now and that's that's great because i think we the, the tide is turned, and we will be able to, to actually get some of this stuff done over the next few years. Obviously, the Senate's not going to pass the right. background check bill. But anyway, I'm really happy we're doing that. Oh, boy, I was too. I was, I was thrilled to see it. I, I, didn't, I didn't check uh, carefully enough to know whether the bill has any Republicans at all. Um, I don't think it point. does. I don't think it does, but I, I wouldn't swear to that. Right. And I saw that uh, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords came back for the announcement right. yesterday. Uh, and another issue we've talked about extensively because Kentucky had the best of all the state programs in terms of exchanges for the Affordable right. Care Act. Um, you are um, looking at, as chairman, some single-payer health care? We're going to um, l hold hearings on single-payer plans on a variety of options, including Medicare for All, to try to gauge what the impact of various options would be on the budget. Basically, at, trying to answer the question, can we afford to do this? And what would be the impact? And how much will, revenue will we need to make it happen? And I think that's an important uh, exercise that we're going to be going through. We've asked CBO to give us um, a, a report on all the things that we have to consider in, in analyzing it. So, for instance, would um, insurance companies be part of it? In Bernie Sanders' proposal, you can't sell private mm -hmm. insurance, so the insurance companies go away. Um, and Bernie's plan is not Medicare for all. It doesn't. It has no con nothing in common with Medicare. Medicare for all. It's universal health care on demand with no contribution by the consumer. Um, I don't think that's feasible. But uh, you know, uh, Pramila Jayapal from Washington State, she's going to introduce a Medicare for all bill, which will be six, HR six seventy six, which has been the <laughs> Mm -hmm. You started with John Conyers years ago. It's always been kind of the the benchmark. So we'll consider whatever she comes up with again with with other options, a potentially a public option, uh, you know, extending Medicare to people fifty five and older. There'd be a lot of uh, things considered, 
But again, I think it's going to be a very important exercise for the for us to go through well, and the Congress to go through. Uh, absolutely, it is the key question, I believe. I mean, everybody says, well, we, we, you know, we want we support universal health care, right? Everybody should. So then, how do you do it, and how do you pay for it? And that's always been well. It sounds good, but we can't afford it. I yeah. mean, what you're saying is you're going to find out exactly what, what the it would cost, cost would what be. it would cost to do these variety of of um, alternatives. Medicare for All now polls extremely well. It's a significant majority of the American people want it because they understand yeah. Medicare because they all know somebody who is a beneficiary of Medicare who uses it. It's a program that has worked very effectively. Absolutely. And so the question is, how can we have everybody benefit from it and what it would cost? I've talked to a number of uh, Fortune 500 CEOs mm-hmm. who will tell me privately, we have to go to Medicare for All. And they, for yeah. two reasons, they say, first of all, we can't afford to do this anymore. It's just mm-hmm. murder. And we can't afford to compete globally with companies who do not have to provide health care. Yeah. And all I remember right. a few years ago, General Motors said that's the most expensive thing, part of the car, is health care. So we've got to find an option, and uh, we're going to see what we can do. You're hard at work at that new job there, uh, Senate uh, House Budget Committee <laughs> Chair. Thanks so much, Congressman. It's great to, to see you. Bill. Great all to right. see you. And we'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.